When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Hey, we're giving away another surfboard. We will pick the winner on June 1st. The list of names we pick comes from our monthly recurring supporters. These supporters are the backbone of our business, and we know how many people listen, so we've structured this at $5 a month, an amount that you probably won't even notice missing. And if only 10% of our listeners supported, we would be able to run a healthy business, hire production help, and focus our time on hosting shows and creating the content rather than doing all the tedious backend stuff. So as a thank you to those supporters, we'll include you in these surfboard giveaways. This month, it's gonna be a six foot twin fin. A dream fish is the working model name, but it might get renamed. This board is shaped, laminated, sanded, and conceived of by the one and only Roger Hines. We'll discuss all the details of the board in today's show. I will give you this exact board that I have been writing with my name on the stringer. Well, one of you anyways, randomly selected on June 1st. You can support on surfsplendorpodcast.com. Click on over to support the show. Or I've also put a hyperlink in your show notes. It says subscribe in all caps. Just click that. It'll only take you one minute to set up your support. So thank you. Please enjoy my chat with Roger Hines and my review of the Dreamfish Twin. a banana. <laughs> <laughs> I won't fall for that again, Roger. Right. Let me make sure these are gone. Okay. She's working it. Let's catch up. Let's catch the listeners Good up. Good to see you. What? Good to see you. It's Good been to a while. see you. Um, we need to catch. Yeah, it's been a while since we recorded our last podcast, but let's catch the listeners up. You took a hiatus from board building. When was uh, that, and why? Well, I was working in San Clemente, and the guy who owned uh, the glass shop, my friend Maurice, I guess we both kind of decided to go a different direction at the end, of, and he sold the glass shop to Lost. He offered it to me, and I figured, yeah, I don't want to own a glass shop at this age. And um, so that that unraveled, and and I sent a few boards out to be glass, and I, I just figured, ah, I'll just take some time off. And then I ended up building a house for a friend down the street here. And uh, then I injured my leg last year. And so I was out of sorts for a while there. And uh, uh, more recently, it was, I think, the, the week before Super Bowl weekend. It was like the 1st of February. I just got antsy and I went out and shaped a blank. And that ended up being your board. 
was the first one. I thought, well, my leg's okay if I tape it up for now, and I'm having some work done on it. And uh, uh, I called Anthony. I said, hey, what do you think about making some boards? My webmaster. And he goes, yeah, people are inquiring on the website. What's up? So on Super Bowl weekend, we relaunched uh, Instagram and uh, the website. And it took off. When was your exit? When did Maury's shop close oh, up the shop? Yeah. Is it 2019? Yeah, no, I think it was... Uh, 2018. 18. Yeah. Why stop shaping completely? Were you just burned out? Is there not adequate glassers? No, everybody out there is, is really doing nice work. I think everybody has... Um, their vision of how a board is supposed to look. And you can only put so much information on an order card. A surfboard is like a woman. Each one has a different curve. And I've always thought that when you tape off a rail line for a cut lap, every board has a different look. And I'm not a big fan of scribing a board and then running tape around it because every board looks the same. I want every board that I do to have a different characteristic. Can I get that down at other glass shops? Probably, but not at this time because there's too many boards uh, being built right now to handle the amount of glass shops that are out there. So, and quite frankly, I, I love glassing surfboards. And as it turns out, I'm pretty good at it. Did you miss it? No. And then all of a sudden I did because it's always in you. You don't spend most of your lifetime building surfboards or being around surfing since 1965 or 66. And all of a sudden it's gone. Even though I haven't been able to surf because of my knee, I still have a, a deep desire to get the shit scared out of me. I want to go surf Sunset Beach. I want to have to be able to do that again. And I will. It'll just take a little bit more time. My knee's going in a good direction. Um, in terms of shaping, it's Multiple time Surf Splendor guest, two time Icons of Foams, shaping champion, 40 year board builder. Roger Hines is our guest today. In addition to his own Roger Hines surfboard label, he also makes Bear Surfboards, the iconic brand from the 1978 John Milius film. There are three surfboard models featured in that film, and Roger makes those boards in limited quantities. You can find them at Bing Surfboards right now while they last. You could probably uh, get a hold of one through Roger Hines Surfboards as well. And at the age of 66, Roger is returning to board building after a two-year hiatus. The very first surfboard that he built upon his return is this exact Dreamfish Twin that I've been riding all of April and that I'll be giving away on June 1st. So why did Roger leave board building? What brought him back into it? And for a guy who makes the guns in Big Wednesday and a nose rider model for Paul Strau, why was a six-foot twin fin the board that he launched back into the business with? Let's dive in and find out.
Again, like with the album Twinsmen that I reviewed in February, the Roger Hines Dreamfish defies traditional genre categorization. I'm going to call it a alternative shortboard. It's technically not a fish, despite its name. It really needs to be renamed, and Roger and I discussed that. But also, usually when people say shortboard, what they mean is a high-performance thruster, and this isn't that either. This is kind of right in the middle between that and a fish. If you simply looked at the measurements, it's actually very similar to a fuller volume high-performance shortboard. But when you account for all of the other design features, it isn't. With the twin fins and the swallowtail, you'd want to say that it's a fish. But I was actually surprised to hear that the seedling of this design was a single fin. Uh, Super Bowl Sunday, you shaped this board. Yep. Why this design? Uh... What was the, what was the I impetus? was watching a lot of boards, uh, twin fins, you know, what was old is new again, and channel bottoms and so on. And, and I just went out there and I had, I don't know, maybe 10 or 15 blanks in stock to choose from. So I just grabbed the shortest one and, and it was a 6.5A, a US blanks. And I, um, I just started fill farting around with it and Okay, if I'm going to build a twin fin, what am I going to do? Because I haven't built twin fins in a lot of years. But okay, what am I going to do if this is if this is what I'm doing, coming back in to see how this feels to me, what am I going to do? So I basically just laid out the blank and started throwing some templates together. I've, I kind of took the Dreamfish, the board that you rode, uh, as that idea. But then, as I was laying it out, I've always thought that a twin fin rides much like a single fin in the sense that you're turning a lot more off your rail than you are off of your fins. So I just incorporated, I, I took, I think now that I'm looking at it sitting here on the floor, I think what I did was I pulled the nose in a little bit more than the Dreamfish, I pulled the center in a little bit, and then I pulled the tail in about an inch. But I did that by taking the curve out of the tail. So from your back foot, maybe a third up, it just kind of comes straight back. And that's, it allows you to push and come around that corner. It seemed like to me that that would be, you know, how to start making them after 30 years and see how, see how they go. Is that outline, you, were, you referenced single fin, is that outline more similar to sing, a single fin outline? You know, I don't know who came up with, with it. it it was probably, I would think, Tom Parrish. But in the mid-70s, uh, yeah, mid-70s, I think, one of those guys took the curve out of the tail and straightened it out the last third of the board, and it changed everything. I mean, you could actually come around a corner on one of those things like crazy. A lot of the California boards had curve all the way through, and um, the stuff that they were riding up the pipeline obviously had a lot of curve but um, the ones that you were riding at sunset or somewhere like that it changed everything when they put that straight board in the tail I, I don't know who came up with it but i was quick to jump on board that's for sure so in terms of this board uh as a modification from the dreamfish of the past mm -hmm. it's more similar to that single fin kind of well all it is is just a tighter version okay. of the dreamfish so it'll ride tighter in the pocket, 
because it's th that board's 20 and a half. My normal dream fish is like 21. And that board has a 15 inch nose. My normal dream fish, I think, is 15 and a quarter. And then that board is 15 and three quarter tail. And the dream fish is 16 and three quarter. So it, ha it has a lot more curve throughout. But I just kind of compacted everything. Roger said that this board is narrower than the original dream fish and then gives measurements quarter inch narrower in the nose and the tail, half inch narrower in the middle. Those measurements seem nominal, but that actually amounts to a lot of foam, a lot of volume. Of course, this board has never been near a computer nor a machine, so I don't actually know what the volume measurement is. Specifically regarding the dimensions, it is six feet in length, 20 and a half inches wide, 14 and three quarters inches at 12 inches from the nose and 15 and three quarters inches at 12 inches from the tail. This board's paddleability is high, as high or maybe even higher than any other six foot board that I've ever ridden. Obviously it's not gonna paddle as fast as a long board or a longer board, but you can spin it quickly and dig in faster than anything in its range. And what about maneuverability? What will this board do for you once you are up and riding? I have found that it does everything you'd expect your high-performance shortboard to do, only at about 80% of the turning radius with double the ease and forgiveness and perhaps 20% more speed. So in practical terms, if you're gonna be surfing out at lowers and you wanna score half a point higher than your buddy by aiming for 12 o'clock instead of 10 o'clock, then don't ride this board or any twin fin for that matter. You should be riding a thruster. But the narrower package and the modern bottom of this board will absolutely allow you to hit the lip and even drift the fins. And it does so while maintaining an effortless drive between maneuvers, which is actually where I found that this board compensates the most for my deficiencies. It's narrower. It is narrower. And, and so that would let you ride it tighter in the pocket. And I just didn't want a whole bunch of tail area there for when you went to roll the board over. Um, there seems to be a couple schools of thought on V. Um, I'm a big fan of it. I've watched it since 71 on the North Shore. That's how you turn a board at high speeds. Um, it rolls over or it doesn't. If it doesn't roll over, you're tracking straight to the beach. Yeah. Um, and on a wider tail like that, I'm a big fan of it because it'll just allow the board to roll over. And I think that that's a, a big key in the board turning straighter up the face. You take the ear out of the nose and uh, tighten up the tail a little bit till it rides tighter in the pocket and then incorporate that, um, that shortboard rocker and uh, the hard edge, <coughs> excuse me, the hard edge that runs up, you know, five inches in front of the, uh, the fins. You have a, a board there that's gonna go fast through the water and, and change directions real easy. My, my bottom contours are very simple. I used to be an open ocean paddler. In the 90s, I used to do the Hennessy Cups and stick my butt out in the middle of the ocean for three or four hours paddling. <laughs> Jesus. You learn how a board goes through the water real quick. Uh, when you're that far out in the ocean, you kind of feel what the board's doing. So my bottoms are very simple. I, I try to do whatever I do to the opposite side of the extreme. I don't want a whole lot of, um, what I've experienced in the past under my feet and then under some other people's feet who I've surfed with in the past and built their boards 
anything deep it seemed like it cavitated when the board when the when you started surfing bumpy surf it seemed like the board wouldn't want to go like this now i'm not saying that's under everybody's feet but under mine and army's feet for sure uh, that's what happened and um so any water doesn't run tip to tail on the board only when you're paddling to catch the wave when you're surfing the water's coming across the board so I try to make it to where the water gets in and out really fast um, so I don't my concaves are not real deep my channels that I put on there are not real deep they're designed to build pressure when you're pushing it'll build a little pressure back there and it'll go 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 I just everything I do is very subtle like again I want if you have a board that travels through the water with very little resistance it's gonna go wherever you want it to go and that's so this is flat entry flat entry, yeah and then what's the middle of the board like I have a, I have flat all the way up to your front foot and then I put V from right in front of the channel I'll put V and it's very slight where it starts and then it comes out to probably where your fins are at the back of the fin it's probably three-eighths of an inch and then I flatten off the last four inches of the board so you got something to push off there and and then I just incorporated the this uh, just a real shallow channel like maybe three-eighths well things got complicated real quickly there in that explanation yeah. despite your claims of it being simple there's a lot of complication there again if, if you look at it under the lights it's it's a pretty simple bottom if you if you look at it there's you can clearly see there's no place for the water to be disrupted it's just gonna go right through um, can you explain what V is you take the flat surface up from the nose to the, about the middle of the board well on my big wave boards Hell, I run V on, on 10 foot, 10 to 6 guns. I run V halfway up the board because it opens up that sweet spot to where when you're falling out of the sky on a 20 foot wave and you hit, you can turn from anywhere on that board. You need all the help turning you can get yeah. on a big board. Like it's going to roll over a little bit easier. Um, so all you're doing is taking the bottom and making it look like this. It starts real gradual and then it comes back and like I say it comes to maybe if you put a level on it it might tilt three-eighths of an inch to each side but then I I put it flat the last four inches of the the tail and your swallowtail is like two and three quarter inches deep so you figure another inch and a quarter up in front of your swallow right there it's flat from there out the exit got it so clarifying for the listener V is essentially uh, the reason why it's called V is it's an upside down V. Exactly. So the stringer would then be higher than yes. the foam surrounding it, and it obviously gradually goes down towards the rails. Yep. So, and that, like you said, allows a board to turn. So rather than having a flat surface sitting on the water, once you put those angles on it, obviously you tilt your toes yeah. and it'll push down easier. You lean onto your heels and that side will push down easier. So I think people understand it up till there, but what happens when you put a single channel down the middle of the V like you have here? All that does is it's very subtle. It, it, will, it will create a, a lift, for lack of a better word, it, so where you can push and build pressure and build pressure and just 
and jump and jump and jump and it'll, it'll, it'll go faster and faster. It's just a little air pocket in there. You know, V through history has, I mean, anybody should watch Barry Kanayapuni surf Honolulu Bay on, on um, Five Summer Stories. He's moving that freaking eight foot board like people can't even do today on short boards. That, that is uh, how V goes through the water. Okay. Yeah. I, I will rewatch that. It's, it's fantastic. If I could pull the clip, I'll put it in the YouTube. It, it is fantastic. He's flying and just changing directions like, like crazy. Um, you talked about little pocket of pressure underneath and being able to push off of it. Yeah. My experience with the board, which I don't know if it flies in the face of what you just said, but maybe you could talk me through it, um, is that I don't pump it at all. Like I don't, the way, the way you described it made me think of like a pumping, like a check kind of mm -hmm. turn pump. I find this board to draw out everything a lot easier. Like I don't feel any impulse to give it a kick. I just lean and it has a lot of drive inherently. And if I take off that lean, then maybe I would have to check it back into gear. But if I just put gradual pressure on it mm -hmm. you feel the afterburners kicking in and uh it does all the work for you my boards for the most part i try to make them to where if you force them too much they will bog down my boards want to run they and again that's the whole bottom how i do the bottom the board goes through the water real easy it's going to go fast and it's going to change directions that's real easy saying. I'll be honest, I still don't quite understand the air pocket illustration of that single channel, nor am I convinced that I can actually attribute any of the speed that this board generates to that channel rather than say the flat entry rocker. But what I did sense from the channel was a certain bite and control. So if the V helps by kind of leaning the board over and turning, that single channel gives you added control for where you go in that turn. In one turn that I did, for example, I remember specifically starting into a roundhouse cutback, and then when I turned my shoulders and head to look back at the top of the whitewash, I was able to grip in kind of the midway part of that roundhouse and steer back towards the top of the whitewash for the rebound. So this is, of course, something that your 18 and a half or 19 inch wide thruster can always do without a problem but it's not something that you see a lot of 20 inch wide boards do. Certainly not with 15 and three quarter inch wide tails. And that's really where Roger hit a home run with this design, was by adding modern but subtle elements into a classic design without compromising the user friendliness of it. I found this board to actually smooth out my surfing. I got the best results from a real steady application of pressure, which gave me constant acceleration. If I let off and tried to pump the board, then I would lose rhythm and only kind of half connect with a lip or a turn. And this all may actually come back to Roger's single fin concept. If you ever ride a single fin, it smooths out your surfing. It forces you to find trim. This board has a lot of that DNA in it, but in a zestier package. And I think part of that zest can be attributed to the swallowtail. No, and me being a front foot surfer through my 
surfing life, you always wanted a board that you could would run on its own, and because you you, know, you just want a board to just go really easy. If you have to, I've never was that type of surfer. There is that type of surfer, and they're really good surfers, and they're pushing it ninja. Uh, but uh, my boards tend to just go smooth through the water. Yeah. That's what I want. I want the board to just go through the water with least resistance. That's what this board did. Yeah. That was my experience with this. Um, so the swallow, you talked about the depth of the swallow. Mm -hmm. What is? It, how does that affect it? Like, what does a deeper swallow do versus a shallow swallow? Well, what is that board, six feet? Yeah, six up. Okay, so that swallowtail is two and three quarter inches deep. Let's just call it three inches. So now you're turning a five eight because the water is oh, going to break okay. at that swallow. Gotcha. The water, if it was a round pin, is going to break at the pin. Gotcha. The water breaks at the swallow. So you're you have a planing surface of a six foot board. You're catching waves with a six foot board, but when you want to change direction, that board is two and three quarter inches shorter. That's why we used to ride the shit out of swallowtails out at sunset because you're just changing directions like this. And, mm -hmm. and the swallowtail really allows that real smooth transition. Mm -hmm. Always like that. What's the uh, design principle behind the single channel? Why not multiple channels? I've never had really good luck with them under my feet. Uh, Army didn't have luck with them under his feet. And... I never really had any real team riders through the uh, late 80s and 90s when they were a thing um, to give me feedback. And again, I like less confusion on the bottom, but other people seem to have success with them. I don't build bonzers for two reasons. I have a lot of respect for the Campbell brothers, and it's not my deal. If you want a bonzer, you got it guys right there who can build the best ones. And if you need six channels, man, there's a lot of guys you need to go to besides me. I'm just trying to build something what I know is has a really good chance of working and working again in two years later and, and standing the test of time. Got it. What about the edge? You talked about the edge uh, being sharp five inches up from the fin. Yeah, I, I try to keep my edges depending upon the fin configuration but this twin fin it looks like I ran it up a little bit more than that I want just a 90 degree angle right there I want you to cut your finger when you're feeling that edge because that's what how the board releases and so, so the water doesn't wrap the rail right there in the tail area so more responsiveness yeah got it yeah um, what is the rail like throughout the rest of the board pretty relaxed Okay. Pretty relaxed, more of a ping pong ball. And then as it gets to the nose, it's just a smaller, you know, I don't, uh, my boards are, I forget how thick that one is. I think it might be two and seven eighths, but I can make that board for a guy my size and my age, uh, three and a half inches thick with that same rail. And it's gonna ride the same way as it rides under your feet. Cause yeah. all you wanna do is that have that rail roll over into the water. What's up here under your belly when you're turning means nothing. Yeah. That's why numbers, uh, people ask me, well, how thick is the board going to be? And I, I, I don't discuss numbers because it scares the hell out of people. 
Well, I don't know how thick is that board. That seems thick. Well, it doesn't matter how thick it is in the center, as long as your rails are where they need to be. Got it. Fins played a dramatic role in my experience on this board. I started out riding NVS's Upright Album Twins, which I loved in the board. The board worked effortlessly. And then I tried the C-Drive Twins. I have uh, the C-Drive fins as a thruster, and I love those. I see no deficit in those fins in any board that I've ridden them in. But Scott Bass was loving the C-Drive Twins, and so I was excited to try them in this board that I was already loving. But it turns out it was a mismatch. The fins tracked really straight. They had lots of speed, but too much hold. I talked about that roundhouse cutback earlier and rebounding off the top of the whitewash. These fins prevented me from doing that exact thing on another occasion. I set the line into the cutback, but I couldn't crank it into the tight turning radius halfway through. They just wanted to track straight, so I ended up kind of down carving into a bottom turn. And if you look at these C-Drive fins in the box, they do look huge. The base of the fin takes up a lot of space relative to the tail width of the board, so it makes a lot of sense that they would just feel stiff. So I just figured, no big deal, these fins are a mismatch for this board, I'll swap back to the album uprights and I'll be stoked. But Roger insisted on taking measurements, hearing more feedback, and then isolating which variables were causing this additional hold. And it turns out, it wasn't just the fin box placement that needed adjusting but the angle of the fin box setting. The fins I've done in the past were glass on keels. So you can determine where the back of the fin is. When you shape the board, you can measure up and come in off the rail how far you want it and put a mark where the back of the fin is. And so I actually had to make a few phone calls because I hadn't done any with fin boxes and I didn't know how far the fin, trailing edge of the fin came past the box. So I made a phone call to Maurice, who makes a bunch of these, Agnello and, uh, at Edit, Edit Surfboards, and, and he kind of gave me the Reader's Digest version of where he's putting them in. Um, I noticed on yours, when I was looking at it, the back of the fin, we, we were good with the, the placement. I think I would have brought yours in a little bit more off the rail. The, the ones I'm shaping now, I am doing that. But... I'm really stuck on a, a six and a half degree cant on the fin. On, on the way my boards ride is I want to set them at a six and a half degree and off of 90. And I think the ones you got in there, those are beautiful fins. And I'll have to ask you more about how they work, but they look like they're more straight up and down. And so that's going to change how the board works. That's going to run a little drivier out, but it's going to be a little bit stiffer. It's going to ride. It's going to ride a little trackier with the fin more vertical. Uh, I forget when it was, 2000 or 1999. There was an interview in Longboard Magazine, and I don't know why they asked me, but. There was a couple of us, Bradshaw, me, I think Randy Rarick was in there, a few other guys, and they were asking questions about the, the tri-fin uh, placement and, and angles and such. And, and I 
mentioned that I was riding uh, thrusters on a on a board that I had surfed at the pipeline that I would run them a little bit straighter and more vertical because I wanted the board to come out of the turn because I'm backhand out there. I wanted the board to come out of the turn and make a little bit more distance uh, as opposed to the way they surf it now. They're falling out of the sky and just yeah. So I, I was trying to make my fins to where they would drive a little bit further out and that's what I would think that would do. I think it's an interesting looking fin. I really like the concept. I like a wide base in the fin. My fin templates that I use, I have a wide base and it, it rakes further back with a smaller tip because the base will cover the area and, and when the fin is raked back further, it covers a lot of area and you don't need a, a big keel type fin. But I wonder if you could get those in a six and a half. So cant is one thing which we'll cover I mean, the base of that fin just looks giant compared to the tail width. Just visually looking at it, it makes perfect sense that the board would track and not pivot or not release because just look how much base is covering the tail. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I think I would, I would uh, give it another try with... Um, with can. With six and a half inch, I mean, six and a half degree. And... Where I'm setting my boxes now, since that was the first one, I'm setting my boxes a quarter inch further off the rail uh, per what Maurice is doing, and that, that seems to be better. So I, I think I would hold my opinion until I got a set of those at six and a half and tried them again okay. with the placement I have now. I, I, I like that. That looks nice. I would like to see. Because what you're telling me, the board goes really fast, and it does exactly what we were talking about I did in the in in the uh, 80s and the 90s with those three fins is I set them a certain direction at a certain cant to achieve a certain thing I needed to do and um, that was a very specific um, goal that you were trying to achieve yeah a specific way of doing a specific thing yes we aren't doing that here and I would imagine like with your average customer they're not giving you that much specificity either. They're probably riding the board at a bunch of different locations on, you know, different conditions and stuff. So yeah, but they're all better surfers than me. So <laughs> well, so how do you, I, my question is how do you design for that? I mean, just try to give them the most universally pleasing measurements. Yeah, the whole twin fin thing is old and new to me because everything that's being done with the twin fins right now, the fin templates and everything is is new to me and I have a friend uh, Tiva who's been riding the twin fins and he's been instructing me on what his thought is on it and and now your opinion on this and um, and what's he riding what's his opinion he's riding uh, an Almeric I don't know which one it is the, the fin okay uh, I probably should have that information for you. But is it a keel style or is it, it is a, a thruster style. style? It's a keel style. Okay. And he says it works really well. Um, Again, surfing is so uh, subjective to I, what somebody feels under their feet, you know? I'd be curious to see what his board, what the setup looks like. Um, is he similar size to me? No, he's taller. He's, a, he's an open ocean paddler. Okay. He's a strong, strong what, guy. What size of board is he riding? Short, five eight, six foot. Wow. Yeah, he's okay. strong. Um, 
so the degree of cant back to that the uprights that i like are 6.5 degrees mm -hmm. these are four degrees yeah. it's a subtle difference that's a key point that i want to drive home is that these subtle differences are very very noticeable no when i when we looked at this board the other day i looked at the fins and i went i glassed it and i thought jesus did i put those things that vertical because i set all my own fins and i know exactly where i want them and then you had another fin that was the album fin and i put it in there and i went okay that's what i'm looking at right okay um i guess you could take that fin and 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 lean it over when you're glassing it and, and get it where you want it um i just think they, they probably make them at a six and a half possibly yeah and right. i would i would definitely like to see those tried at a six and a half degree ultimately roger offered to route out these fin boxes and then reset them with the appropriate cant then relaminate the board so that i can get the best out of the c drives because he likes the look of those fins but i laughed all of this off just kind of acknowledging that it's way too much work when i could just swap out and ride the other fins that i'm totally totally happy with so now i guess we've compromised and roger's insisting on just making me a new board with kind of that adjustment and a couple other subtle adjustments and i honestly i think this is kind of key whatever you ride isolating these variables and then adjusting for them is a valuable part of progress for both the surfer and also the shaper and of course beyond the board's design and the shaping of the foam laminating is a whole separate set of skill and craft as is sanding by the way and as was the case for a lot of board builders in the 60s but is rather rare now roger builds each of his boards entirely from start to finish and that's an important detail because a lot of the work and intention of the shaper can actually be undone by the laminator the fin setter and the sander a sharp edge of foam can be laminated tightly and then the edge can be sanded round accidentally in the final stage. So a tight relationship and communication among each of those craftsmen can ensure that shapers' goals are executed and surfers are getting great surfboards. Or you can just spend decades learning each of those steps yourself. Rogers mastered each of those steps, and lamination is the single most important factor in quality. Lamination is the largest component in structural integrity. The lamination will be the biggest factor in whether your magic board stays magic and for how long. That one has a four ounce bottom and a four ounce deck patch with a five ounce full length on the, on the deck. I like using five ounce on short boards, especially with color, because it holds the color better than a four ounce. And five ounce is six ounce glass in the warp direction of the board, which is from tip to tail, and then it has four ounce in the fill direction of the board, which is across the board. So it comes out to be five ounces, and that's basically what I use on all my color work on all my short boards, probably under about seven feet, unless somebody's very specific about how they want their glassing schedule, I will use five ounce, because it holds the color really nice. Okay. Um, let's unpack that a little bit for the layperson. So the bottom has less fiberglass than the deck does. Yeah, I mean, I could have got away with, with two layers of four ounce on the deck of that also because I consider that a short board and 
it's nothing that you're gonna need to keep around for a, a long time but um, the five ounce really did doesn't add much weight I mean I'm not a resin paper when I, when I laminate a surfboard I drag all the freaking resin off of it I want the board the, the best lamination is something that's saturated hundred percent and uh, has no dry spots that is absolutely uh, the best lamination and and as far as that goes the hot coat and, and the glossing you'll see a lot of longer boards that cracks across the bottom and it's in the resin and not in the fiberglass itself and that's just because there's a lot of resin on the board and when it hits maybe the shore break or what have you the board will flex and it'll crack that resin on the board so I try to my hot coats are real thin I mean I use Hexel fiberglass uh, it's a real flat weave. I just want enough resin to where I can do the procedure. I'm not trying to stack resin on a board for any, any other reason to make it strong and light and something to sand. I don't overshape the deck of the board, so you're not, you're not going to get a lot of dimpling uh, from the blank. And I use real high quality material. And there is a difference. Uh, I don't know if I read it or if somebody told me, but I know it was Bosco Burns. And I know that he pulled a strand of fiberglass out of a roll and tried to break it. And he couldn't break it. And then he opened up another box of another brand and pulled a strand of fiberglass out just one single strand and it went like that and that's always stuck with me and it, you can do that it truly happens and so I have people bring me boards that I glassed 30 some years ago and they still look new materials matter materials matter and and the cost of material to me is inconsequential because what are you gonna save 20 cents a yard on on fiberglass or 25 cents a yard on fiberglass and um, what do you got? 10 yards, so what's that? $2.50? But, I mean, if you're doing 10,000 boards a year or 50,000 boards a year, uh, I guess that adds up. Yeah. I mean, but at the end of the day, I don't, I don't look at it. That's not my business model. Yeah. My business model stops at, at, uh, at the end of every board. I want to detail one other thing you said about not taking a lot of foam off the deck. So can you explain what that means and why that matters and how it relates to strength? I know that Clark Foam and US Blanks do a lot of testing on how many cuts you can take with a planer and the depth of, of it before the weight, uh, the density changes. And so when I shape a board, I the first thing I do is I outline it and I shape the bottom exactly how I want it. And then I foil the deck down to match that curve. But everything goes from the rail to the stringer. And while I'm coming up to the stringer with my planer, I'm clicking off to where when I get to the stringer area, probably three inches on either side of the stringer, I'm clicked completely out to where I'm, I'm just taking the skin. So the blank when it shows up, has a hard shell on it, yes. essentially. Uh -huh. It's still the polyurethane foam, but the way that it's cured mm -hmm. is kind of like a crust. Yes. And 
so you're saying you take a lot of foam off the bottom because the surfer's foot isn't going to be compressing on the bottom yeah. leave that shell on the deck so the heels actually have a bit more resistance there and they don't uh, dent the deck that's the concept yeah all my all the blanks that i order have have the custom rockers what i need for my designs and so i'm basically just cutting in the bottom and and the deck i'm just foiling and 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 to where it comes up to zero at the at the stringer got it um I don't think it's much different than what anybody else has been doing, but it's a detail that a lot of listeners have never heard before, though. Yeah. So it's um, all an elliptical cut. That's what it is. It's all an elliptical cut. It's nothing going straight up and down. It's an elliptical cut. Right. And so you're taking less off the more you come to the center of the board. Right. And in regard to the deck, this one is pretty neutral. It's flat, about six inches out from the stringer on either side, actually right up to the glue lines, which uh, we'll discuss in a moment, and you'll actually be able to see on the YouTube ver version of this review. And then the deck gradually domes down from that flat plateau, six inches out from the stringer, foiled outward down into a neutral rail. This flat plateau of the deck provides high stability and then moderate sensitivity. So it won't actually be as sensitive as a deck that apexes at the stringer, but these bottom contours and the outline of the board are designed for drive propulsion. So the board doesn't actually require that toe tap sensitivity to pump it. And also just for context here, for something that Roger is gonna talk about, surfboard blank manufacturers offer a range of blank models so that the shapers can kind of choose one that most closely fits the design of the board that they're building without wasting a ton of foam. Essentially, you don't need a 10 foot blank to shape a six foot board. But these blanks aren't just offered by length. There could be three different six foot four blanks available, each with a different distribution of six foot and four inches of foam. They come in different widths, thicknesses, they have different rocker built into them. So the blank manufacturer hires well-known shapers to design the blanks to accommodate the market needs. So you can imagine in the 70s, at the beginning of the 70s, there were only longboard blanks available, but then there was a sudden need for blanks that were eight feet or shorter. And now, kind of modern day, there's a revitalized need for mid-length blanks, but with different distribution of foam than, let's say, the mid-length blanks that were used to make eggs in the last decade or single fins of the past. Roger Hines is one of the few shapers who has been tasked and trusted with the responsibility of building some of these blanks over the years, originally at Clark Foam and now at US Blanks. And so when he's talking about this, he'll refer to uh, those blank designs sometimes as plugs, which is what he actually builds. Basically, he'll shape what he wants the blank to be and then do a really thick, heavy lamination, and that becomes a plug. The foam manufacturer then uses that plug to create a mold around it. That mold then becomes used to make all the future blanks. I have my nose thickness 12 inches back from the the tip of the nose and I have my tail thickness uh, a foot up and I have my center thickness whether it be dead center of the board or the thickest part of the board is two inches in back of the the center or on my 70 style boards my 
thickest part is two to three inches in front of the center for a more forward foil look. Um, my thickness of the tail is usually, well, let me reverse that, the thickness of the nose is usually an eighth to a quarter inch thinner than the tail at that same distance for swing weight. I want the, it to be lighter in the nose area. And I think most blanks, I know the ones I did for US and I know the ones that Pat Rawson did, um, they're all kind of the same all the way through. It's a good starting point. Uh, except for the 83H. I actually, the 83H, I cut that bottom in. I kind of went against the norm because, and I'll go back to the first plugs I did for Clark Foam in the 90s, um, late 90 or 2000. Gordon gave us a paper that had instructions. Okay, look, this is the way it's proven to work and it's very specific and I didn't have to follow him, but he, it was a good instruction. And so I went away from the norm when I, when I did the 8.3H is I actually cut the bottom in just as if the end user, but I just indexed it up. So what I did with the 8.3H is I cut the bottom in. It has a ready to go bottom. You could take a cardboard template, outline that blank, and the rail is really low on that. It doesn't fit on the shaping machine. That board is a, that blank is a hand-shaped blank because you can band the rails really quick on that one because it was designed for hand shaping. And that is a really good blank for an entry-level shaper or for any shaper. I shaped one today um, because the bottom's cut in already. There's yeah. no guessing about it, man. You, you, it, what I did today was uh, a board that finished out at three and an eighth. And uh, I mean, I took a pass off the bottom and chipped in the nose and the tail and <laughs> flipped it over and banned the rail and hit the deck and I was done. And so I think the majority of the shapers out there now are using thicker blanks to accommodate the machine, but there are some uh, some real close tolerance blanks offered at, um, at US blanks, especially because everything's glued up, indexed really good. There's no guessing. You can go in there and hand shape them easily. Speaking of glue up, this specific board has those two glue lines. Mm -hmm. What are they, six inches out? Uh, I don't remember. Maybe five inches out from the stringer? Yeah. Um, is that purely aesthetic or is there any? Yeah, no, it's just to catch the tips of the swallow. Got it's it. a good look, though. It is a good look. Affordable, and uh, I, don't, I don't know that it adds any st structural value to it, but it's a good look. I would argue it doesn't, but it doesn't compromise it at all no. either. Yeah. But uh, again, kind of to detail it for listeners who haven't seen it or know of that option, the blank comes as a, or I mean, the blank starts out as a complete piece of foam. It's usually cut down the center and then a stringer is glued in. You can obviously pick the type of wood you want and the thickness of the wood and all that, or the width. Um, in this case, there's two additional cuts on either side of the stringer, five inches out. But rather than gluing a second and a third stringer in there, they simply glued it back together, but they colored the glue. Yep. So there's a red glue line on either side of the stringer. And it looks like the stringer might have black glue. It does. Okay. 
So it's glued up with black glue along the stringer and then the red glue lines on the exterior, which is a great look. Does that add a lot of cost for the consumer? Oh, I think at that size of a blanket, and don't quote me, but I think it adds maybe $10 a cut max. I, I might be on the heavy side with that. Okay. Ballpark. Um, That's with my uh, double secret probation discount. Um, right. So in, in wrap-up for the board design, I've got other questions about you as well. Nothing. Um, in wrap-up about the design, can we even still call this a fish? Now, a lot of people call it a fish because of the, the, the fish tail. It's a swallowtail, but call it whatever you like. Um, what are you calling it? I'm calling it the Dreamfish Twin because it's the the concept came out of the Dreamfish. It's just a more compact version of it. But uh, but it's I, a different board. I would gladly change the name if you give me some. I hadn't thought of it until now, and I will think about it, but I, I want to delineate these terms because a twin fin, I mean, all fish are twin fins, but not all twin fins are fish. This has the shape of, tail shape of a fish, and it has the twin fins of a fish, but otherwise it's not really a fish. I mean, the board is almost more a short board than it is... And, and again, I should delineate those terms too because I say that to mean a high-performance shortboard, but realistically, uh, there's a lot of lengths of boards that could be classified as a shortboard that aren't high-performance. So this, it's difficult to define the genre. It's kind of an alternative shortboard, I would say. A high-performance version of a fish slash alternative shortboard. How would you define it? I wouldn't argue with that at all. It's higher performance. It's definitely than fish. A, a more compact version of it. It's uh, three quarters of an inch narrower in the width. I think of a fish. The attribute of a fish, or the characteristic of it, is surfing small, sloppy waves, and going like horizontal, real fast, gaining speed in in kind of gutless surf banking off sections and having fun. But once the waves get serious, I would ride something else. And this does that, but it has much more vertical capability, much more pivot and maneuverability, but not so much as a high performance shortboard. Correct. So it's in between those things. But I would ride this in good waves or knee high waves even, right? Sure. Absolutely. There's a big planing surface there to where you're going to be able to go over the flats of the waves pretty easily. But then it has a rocker to where you can be able to turn it more vertical. All right. So let's do a recap. For genre, this is an alternative shortboard. It's a six foot twin fin with a swallow tail. It has a fuller nose and then it hits its wide point right at the center and then maintains a very straight line out the back half of the board. So it's curvy up top and then straight out the back, but not paralleling straight. Straight lines that get narrower out the back to the swallow tail. It has V that starts right about at the center of the bottom and then goes into a single channel between the twin fins. 
The V allows easy maneuverability for your toes and heels, and then that channel increases sensitivity for your steering. And all of that comes in handy because this board is fast. With a nearly 15 inch nose and an almost 16 inch tail width, this all translates to lots of planing surface and the soft transition in those bottom contours never disrupts water flow, so the board has lots of drive. The blank was glued up with a dark wood center stringer, accentuated by black glue lines, and then five inches out from center on either side, there are red glue lines that finish directly out each point of the swallow tail. I'd ideally ride this board in waves that I actually rode yesterday. It was kind of higher tide Huntington Beach where it breaks out the back and the waves have open face and a crumbly lip. Then you kind of have to weave through fat spots and then zip through the inside shore break for a float or something. The board maintains speed through all of that. Plenty of foam for flow and then plenty of cutaways in that foam in the tail outline and bottom for precision maneuverability. I would also love to ride this board at a point break, but I haven't yet. My choice for fins are the NVS album Upright Twins. Our promo code on their website is the word podcast. You can save 10% by using it on surfnvs.com. I have not seen another surfboard like the Dreamfish Twin anywhere. I've seen boards that have each of these elements applied in different designs but nothing that incorporates all of these things into one package. And to be perfectly honest, I think it's a stroke of genius. Well, I, I didn't know how it was gonna go. I just figured if, uh, if you put a good bottom on it and a decent outline, something good will come out of it. Yeah, um, it's, an, it's a uh, modern evolution in your catalog of boards, you know, like nothing you were making. Nothing in 2018 or prior look like this. Mm -hmm. And this thing not only fits in in 2021, it's actually different and a modernization and improvement of what other people are doing. Like it incorporates elements of things other people are doing, but it's a step forward in evolution. The way I think of a design like this, since it's kind of real early for me on this, is it's fluid. We could change so many things on this in the next five, six months to where it's just, the more information that comes back, the better it will get. Yeah. Um, that design is not one dimensional to where that's what it's gonna look like for the next five years. I, I would never do that. Yeah. I want, I want to be able to change where the fins go and, and get different input. I love this board. With all of Roger's boards that I've owned, I've had about seven of them. A couple of quads, a um, 80 style short board. I've had one long board from him. They all surf very naturally for me. There is no adjustment period. They go absolutely effortlessly. And I find myself actually not even thinking about the board, not thinking about design elements, which becomes problematic whenever Roger asks me for feedback. And I really don't have much to say other than uh, I like it or it works good. And so I feel like um, I'm not actually providing him enough feedback, but he'll ask me very specific questions and then draw more out of me. And then we'll dial in some minute variable. With this board specifically, it was the cant that the fins are set at. 
So we'll do that and we'll find room for improvement, try a new version, and then we'll kind of lock into these magic moments. So whether or not you order a Dreamfish Twin from Roger, my advice to you would be find a shaper that you can work with on this type of stuff. I first saw Roger in the water when I was about 18 years old, so 20 years ago, and I've surfed with him a lot, enough for him to kind of assess my surfing and help design for it. So that would be ideal, and I understand that you might not have access to that, but what I'm trying to get at is that the greatest strides that we've made are through the refinements and the subtleties. And by the way, I've also had fantastic sessions where I've performed really, really well on stock boards, big brand boards that just came off the rack, but story, sentiment, bespoke craftsmanship, whatever element of art is factored into all of this, those are all substantial aspects of surfing and they are unique to working directly with a shaper. And of course, you can be the beneficiary of all of this work and refinement that Roger have done by receiving this exact board, this very board that I've been riding. I'm gonna be giving it away on June 1st. All that you have to do to be included in that is support our podcast network for $5 a month. You can do that on surfsplendorpodcast.com. Just navigate over to the support the show tab on the top. And um, I've also linked, by the way, to Roger's website there. You can find him at rogerhinesurfboards.com and on Instagram at rogerhinesurfboards. Having built boards for over 40 years, Roger's navigated a lot of market trends and he's also adjusted to the way that surfboards are being sold. But never has the retail market shifted so abruptly as it did during his recent hiatus. COVID freed up a lot of time for people many of whom had stimulus checks or previously allocated funds for dining out or traveling or whatever, those people were now spending their money on recreational toys to use outdoors like surfboards. And this wasn't what brought Roger back into the business, but he certainly benefited from it. A lot of the industry was falling apart kind of at the time that you left. A lot of glass shops had been closing. Yeah. A lot of contract glass shops had disappeared. And there was, at that time, there was like a big influx of imported boards um, that were doing really well in the market. There's always been imported boards, Mm -hmm. but it seemed like in 2018, a lot of great surfers were embracing those boards and riding them and incorporating them into their quiver. Um, So the landscape, the retail landscape was really perilous, I think. Then COVID happened. And there's been this boom for surfboards in general. And so I think the import boards are still there, but it's less of a threat to guys like yourself who are hand-shaping boards. Well, I think there's truth in that. As far as my side, I didn't really ever consider China a threat. China didn't do what I did, so uh, I didn't do what they did. So it was never... I didn't have any issue with that. If people bought those boards, then they obviously worked or else there wouldn't have been so many of them being sold. But um, yeah, it was there was people going out of business like crazy. But my whole business model through the last probably 15 years has been low production and uh, higher prices uh, to where I can uh, not have to build so many boards. But the flip side of that is the big producers who their 
business model is well i think a lot of their business models up till COVID was give every shop free boards take every rack space in there so there's no room for any other brands i sold for i don't know from early 90s till 2005 when clark foam went out of business I sold nine out of 10 surfboards to shops. And I was doing a thousand boards a year minimum. So over the years, all these uh, brands started giving boards to shops for, I would imagine, no other reason to take up rack space. And so people didn't buy surfboards, shops didn't buy surfboards from, from me anymore or from a lot of people. So you really had to get a website, start marketing yourself. Jesus, go on social media? The hell is that? <laughs> that's crazy. But that's how you sell surfboards in 2021 is, is um, people see it instantly. They see exactly what somebody did two hours ago with a surfboard and they go, oh my God, I gotta have that. Surfboards are impulse buys. I, I, I've, I truly believe it. Uh, a surfboard is an impulse buy, and, and uh, I mean, that's the double-edged sword of uh, social media. It's social media, you can show people what you did and how you do it, and, and I think there's some sort of gratification of that. But the, the flip side of it is it makes people famous for doing nothing. And so that kind of log jams the industry too it's not unique to the surf world no look at the kardashians you know what i mean like i don't want to <laughs> i'm sorry i don't want to no, but it's indicative of the culture at large i mean yeah so i think that's a, a, a there's something one more point i think that the um the log jam in a lot of these factories are newer labels uh that have come to light on social media and they're taking the spots of people who have built a career um, that need boards glass those spots are gone yeah. to to and, and and again that doesn't affect me I, I've told you in one of the interviews we've done out of four of them uh, these groovy glass shops can go away and the machine can disappear and I will still be able to make a surfboard right so there's a lot of different business models that exist. Right. Let's unpack yours uh, real quickly. You have very low overhead. Your shaping bay is in your backyard. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So even if it's collecting cobwebs for those two years, it's not costing you anything. And then can you explain how you glass your boards nowadays? Uh, my friend Tim Crozier, who owns Blackbird Surfboards in Oceanside, I met him at the boardroom show. Uh, the first one I was in, the IPA, I think it was 14. Yeah. Uh, he was uh, working uh, the booth, one of the shaping booths. And we hit it off and we become friends. And then uh, more recently, I reached out to him and said, hey, uh, you got any room down there? You know, I'd like to glass a few boards. And he goes, yeah, come on down. So it's just turned into a thing that uh, we work very well together. We feed off of each other as far as uh, colors is a big deal to me. 
I, I, I want to do something that other people aren't doing and um, it's just a good environment and so he's given me three days a week down there to where uh, I basically have the place pretty much to myself and I can get some work done and I'm grateful I have a place to land and uh, somebody who I can work with and yet not have to have the responsibility of owning a glass shop yeah or with, a factory yeah with that being said once this COVID crap is behind us and every place opens up, I want to go back to France and shape and start traveling again. Yeah. Um, so I think that's going to happen pretty quick. So, yeah, not having the factory uh, around your neck is is a plus. And for Tim's part, he owns the factory. He does. And he's building his own label there, glassing yeah. his own boards. He is. And is he running other any other labels through there? I think he's doing uh, some stuff for icons. Yeah. Okay. Icons. I'm just. I'm only asking to let listeners know how that model works. Like, if you own a factory, you have to be doing some numbers. And often, yeah. if your label isn't, uh, if you're not selling enough surfboards under your own label, you can at least. Um, glass boards for other people yeah. to help cover the numbers. Yeah, he does a really nice job, real solid. Does he have any shaping bays that he rents out to anybody else? No. Okay. He did, uh, but more recently, um, he remodeled the factory this last month and took one of the shaping bays out and made a bigger uh, area to laminate and hot coat in because that's where the money's made is is in the resin. Got it. Um, uh, the factory is is a good workspace. It's a it's a good environment. Plus, they like I was saying, the guys who are down there, um, real real bunch of good guys. And I apologize. I know I've left out some names of some other people I've met down there, but uh, that's just age. How old are you? I'll be sixty six. Um, how you referenced your knee? Tell me about your health. What's going on? I think at this age we're all circling the drain, but it uh sometimes it's a twenty year circling though. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I'm good. I uh I'm good right now. Uh I I feel good. You can see I have a stationary bike in my living room. I get up every morning and uh spend some time on that, stretch a lot, and go for a walk down to the beach or ride a bike down to the beach and uh or go to the beach. But I haven't surfed. Uh, I went surfing, I think, about a month ago and paddled out and went into a wave and went to push up. My knee just screamed no. So that was it. But we'll when, get there. When was the last time you surfed prior to that? A year. Okay. Yeah. In mainland Mexico. Did you injure yourself there? No. Yeah. It's just been, uh, I have arthritis really bad in my leg and I tore my meniscus. So that was kind of like the triple threat and I... And I I went and saw a specialist, a knee specialist, the other day. He goes, no, I'd have to replace your whole knee. You have too much arthritis in it. But he gave me some stuff I can do to, to improve it. And I'm not a big fan of that type of surgery at this age yeah. at all. So what's the outlook? When do you expect to be surfing again? I hope uh, within the next uh, two months. I'm, I'm good. I shaped eight hours today. I glassed all weekend. 
health-wise and physical, I'm I'm good. It's uh, just making the knee cooperate to get up under you when you're surfing. Um, what do you miss most about taking a year off surfing? And have you ever had a year off before? I miss. Uh, I miss not surfing. Yeah, I really miss not surfing. I mean, I'm a, I'm a part of a big part of it. As far as everything I do revolves around surfing. Everything in my life has always revolved around surfing. I live at the freaking beach because I, I'm a surfer. Um, it means a lot to me to be healthy and to surf. I mean, there's a lot, a lot of other guys out there right now way worse off than me that are still surfing. So I'm good. I find that because my life revolves around surfing, I can trick myself into thinking that I'm surfing you know, like I'll go a week, let's say, without actually getting in the water. But because my work is surfing and I'm recording podcasts in my head, I'm like checking a surfing box. Yeah. And then I realize, oh, it's been a week or two weeks that I haven't gotten in the water. Why am I feeling out of sorts? Why am I feeling, you know, mild depression or whatever? And um, it's important to baptize yourself every once in a while. Like there's nothing that actually replaces it. You know? Yeah. I have an 18-foot paddle board in Eaton, and I'll take it out in the harbor and paddle it around a couple miles. Yeah, It feels good just to be in the ocean. Yeah. If your uh, knee won't let you stand up, get you a hand plane or a bodyboard or something. Is that what you're thinking? <laughs> we got to get you out there somehow. <laughs> we'll put you in the shore break. Is that what you're thinking? <laughs> You've been demoted to bodyboard. What? Okay. Yeah. First session back in the water, what are you going to ride? I've got an 11-footer out there in the garage. I'll probably go to Sano, surf with Paul Strau. I talked to him a lot lately, and yeah, we need to get back in the water. How old is he? 78. Uh, what's his surf schedule like? Is he still getting in the water? He is. Okay, good. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, how's that? 78. Well, he was in the he was in the end of summer. I know. God, what a great guy. Um, well, when you guys plan that session, first session back, I'll come film it. That'd be great. I'll probably end up body surfing most of it anyway. That's why. That's why <laughs> I want to film it. Yeah, I know. I know. All right. Well, Roger, it's been a pleasure as always. David, good seeing you. Thank you. Roger and I recorded more, so stick around for that stuff if you'd like. He was telling me about other board builders that he's impressed by. More details about lamination and tech info. So I'll let all of that play out after the credits if you're interested. But I wanted to let you know that a YouTube version of the surfboard review that we did in this episode will be available next week. So go to YouTube and search for Surf Splendor and click subscribe to our channel, and then you'll receive a notification when that video goes live. Chas Smith and I, of course, released an episode of The Grit yesterday. Scott and I dropped an episode of Spit on Wednesday, and then all of us will be back on our various shows next week as this entire network marches on. Thanks to you, our listeners' support. So thank you, listeners. Also, thank you to Roger Hines for the gift of surfboards. 
And I'm going to go ahead and sign off here. My name is David Scales for Surf Splendor, and I would like to remind you to get back into the ocean, share a few waves, and of course, shred on. So tell me about Davenport now that we're recording. Let's hype Davenport for a second. I am just impressed that he's doing the color work with ISO resin. That stuff's hard to work with. Why? What, not, is, what is it, first of all? How is it different than regular resin? Uh, I worked with it years ago on, on some big wave stuff and uh, some 60s replicas. Reniator used to use a lot of it in the 60s. It has an amber look to it. What's different about it? Um, S249A, the resin we use typically for surfboards, is very predictable. I mean, you'll feel it rolling up in the bucket and you got plenty of time to get your task done. ISO, when I've worked with it, you've had to put promoters into it, like a cobalt, and um, pretty much a lot of catalyst. But when it goes, it doesn't roll up, it just, it's gone. And that shit, when you're doing a cut lap, it's hard to cut too. So it goes from being liquid to hard yeah, quickly. Yeah, really quick. And, and unpredictable, not always the same timing. No, yeah, it's really hard to predict the time. It, um, it's strong though, it's really strong. Right. It's a boat resin inherently, it was a boat resin. So that's why, that's the benefit of it is it's bulletproof. Yeah, it's strong, it gotcha. is strong. Uh, when we did the plugs for Clark Foam and the uh, ones for US Blanks, we used vinyl ester on that. And I don't know the chemical makeup of vinyl ester. I know that Gordon gave us a sheet back in the day when we were building those that this is what you need to do and, and keep your glass straight because if you pull your glass off at an angle, it'll propeller twist the blank when it goes off. And I think that the um, uh, vinyl ester it was pretty unpredictable too, but it, I think it didn't go roll up as fast where, um, like an epoxy exotherms. And if you keep epoxy in a bucket, it'll, it gets hot really quick. Right. Think about epoxy, as you get it out on the board, you get some working time in, in the bucket. It, it, it will roll up and, um, but vinyl ester is what we used on all the Clark foam plugs and the, um, and the U.S. blanks. At least that's what I was told to use anyway. I'm sure yeah. everybody else did the same thing. Sure. So Davenport, um, I've met him a few times. Super nice guy. Yeah. Hard worker. Yeah. Making incredible boards. I feel like he's making some for Hobie, maybe. I think so. I saw the saw him on Instagram. Yeah. Yeah. Now I met him so a couple that, times that at the shop. Classic style. Yeah. 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 I met him a couple times at the uh, boardroom. Very nice guy. Super nice. Good. Good craftsman. Really good. Yeah, he, he's, he's, uh, he's got it going on. Anybody who can do a three-inch cut lap with ISO and color, that's, you got your work cut out for you. Ten feet of board. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to adjust this real quick. And he would ask the questions, and we would work them through together. And that I really like that sort of uh, relationship with somebody who I'm – and I have that same relationship right now uh, – with uh, Tim Crozier, who's let me work in his factory in Oceanside. What's his label? Blackbird Surfboards. Great guy. Full package. He can do it all. Glass shape. Same anime. dance and act? Yep. 
and the the, <laughs> the, the, the soup bowl here and the bass drum here. Yeah, Impressive. Uh, Harmonica around his Right. Name. No, a really good guy. We work real well together. We interact real well. And, and uh, there's good eyes watching in that area. You have a lot of talent there. Um, Barry Snyder's right next door. Oh, okay. Got just one of the nicest fucking guys I've ever met and a really great craftsman. Uh, Michael Takeyama, I met him um, more recently. Very nice and legit. I mean, his boards are just drop-dead gorgeous. So I got those two guys on each side of me. Um, What's Michael? Is Michael's related to Donald? Yeah, but I don't know what the relationship was. But he's a... Uh, yeah, he, he introduced himself to me. Super nice guy. I have nothing but respect for that guy. I, I look at his boards come out of that building, and I just go, yeah, I mean. All right, Roger, we're back. Okay. What, did, what did you forget that was so important? You know, I wanted, again, one of the people I apologized for not remembering was Micah Woods. When, when he uh, is now working in a factory in San Diego, he was in the uh, Blackbird factory when I got there. And what a class act and and one of the the better craftsmen I've seen he's yeah I think he worked uh, with Ernie Higgins at uh, Waterlines and maybe at Donald's factory but uh, I got to know him just a, a little bit but and what a pleasure what does he build excellent surfboards just just same type of stuff that Davenport's doing and yeah I mean just Really good craftsmanship. I first met him maybe eight years ago. He was working at Mitch's. Oh, okay. Mitch's Solana Beach. Yeah. And um, what's, do you know the name of his label? Wood Custom Surplus, yeah. maybe? Yeah. Okay. And he mentioned his label to me, and so I started following him on Instagram. And yeah, he's come a long way and does what I remember seeing most recently is elaborate woodwork, you know, yeah. like nine foot ten foot boards with triple stringers and all sorts of kind of contours and yeah yeah beautiful stuff young talent for sure awesome shout out michael 